Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be discussing trick-taking games. Ooh, my favorite. We've often referenced trick-taking games in, in our podcast, and I feel like it's just, it's appropriate to us to finally like <laughs> review some trick-taking mm-hmm. games. So we're going we're gonna to be taking a look at four different trick-taking games, and then in our discussion topic, we're going to play a little game called Would You Rather? Uh-oh. Board Game <laughs> Edition. But let's go ahead and get into it. Natasha, go ahead and start us off. All right, so Cat in the Box is a new game I picked up at Origins. We talked a little bit about it uh, after we went to Origins. This is a trick-taking card game designed by Moniyuki Yokouchi, artist by Asamu Ino, and published by Hobby Japan. In this game, players are bidding on the number of tricks they can take and trying to get that many, while also trying not to cause a paradox. The twist is that all the cards are black, and when you play the cards, you're declaring what color the card is. There's a central board in the middle of the table that you place your tokens on, indicating that you have played the colors number. So, you, so once you say you have a green three, none of the other threes can be a green. There are four colors in the game, but five of every card. At the beginning of the round, you get to discard one card and then you play all but one. So it's possible that everyone is able to play a card, but if it's your turn and you cannot play any cards that cause a paradox, the round ends and you lose a point for every trick you have taken. All other players get one point per trick they took, and if they get exactly what they bid on, they can also score their biggest set of tokens adjacent to each other on the shared board. What makes this game different than other trick-taking games is the tension between trying to take tricks, not causing a paradox, and then also trying to get as many tokens adjacent as possible. Yeah, they definitely make you think about things differently. One of the things preemptively before we get into the other trick-taking games, I think one of the things that's great about the games that we're going to talk about is the slight difference in the stereotypical trick-taking games we've played. Mm -hmm. And this, yeah, this game just makes you think differently. Yeah, it's not all about just trying to always get the trick, right? Right. Well, you get the set of cards in the beginning. You get get dealt the the cards and then you can discard one. Mm Mm-hmm. If you have, let's say, four threes, maybe you want to get rid of one of the three because if somebody else has it and declares it, then chances are pretty realistic that you're going to cause a paradox. Yep. So it gives you this nice attention of, all right, what do I want to start with? Where do I want to go? I want to make sure I get this the number of tricks, but I also want to make sure I'm putting all my pieces correctly on the center board so they're next to each other so I can score more points. There's a there's a lot to think about, and I it's really clever, the concept that there are no colors in the game mm-hmm. on your cards. They're all black. Until you play them, you declare the color. Yeah, so at any time in the game, you can go, oh, I don't have any green cards left, and then you can trump another card that was played play your, and say this is a red. But then for the rest of the game, you can't play any greens because you told everybody you don't have any greens. So you might want to do that when most of the green cards have been played because otherwise you might the only cards you have left are available to put tokens in are green, and then you cause a paradox. I really like the fact that you can be like, I have no greens, even though you have a bunch of cards in your hand. It's this weird way of thinking about trick-taking games. Mm -hmm. What I love about them is it makes you think differently. And when you're first starting to play, you don't think that way. You have to play like a couple cards or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh All right. All right. Now I know what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. I like this game a lot. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how long, like how much staying power it has, if it if it'll start to get stale quickly. You know, it does kind of change it up a little bit. There's a few different boards you can put in the center player, which mean you know just the way that you place tokens will score differently. 
and whatnot, and it plays differently for two to five players, you know. So I, I am curious at how much variability, or once you've played it quite a few times, if it'll just, you figured it out and you'll kind of be done with it. I don't know yet. I haven't played it enough yet. I think one of the nice things about trick-taking games in general is the replayability is more based on the interaction you have with the other players. Mm-hmm. You know, creating a meta amongst your competitors. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the replayability in a lot of these games come is not necessarily learning something new within the card set, but more interacting with the people around you. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're teaching, let's say, newer newer players. If you sit down and show them this game and you're constantly showing new people, I think there's a lot of replayability because then they're going to obviously be playing slightly different. And it's just, yeah, I think that's where the replayability lies in this game. Mm-hmm. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I would rate this game a 7 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I I also am going to give this game a 7 out of 10. I liked it as well. I I like what it's doing with trick-taking. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's de- it's definitely a good game. Yeah, I definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like trick-taking games at all. Uh, it's got beautiful cards. The artwork is gorgeous. It comes on a nice little box. It's lower price point, which is nice. Everything about it, easy to pick up. This is also the game that caused Natasha to get up early and go to the get in line. Yeah. At the <laughs> it might not be available now, though, now that you say that. Yeah. yeah. They only had so many copies in the the company releasing it in the U.S. is Bezier. Bezier. Yeah, Bezier mm-hmm. Games. So they, yeah, they only had uh, so many that they were allotted each day and. Natasha got in line for it. I did, it. yeah. They said that they weren't going to have any more until Gen Con, but it should be available at Gen Con. And then hopefully after that, Bob. Yeah, that's Cat in the Box. Next up, I want to talk about Ghosts of Christmas. This is also a trick-taking game designed by Taki Shinzama and art by Maria Serduncan, published by Board Game Tables. In this game, players are playing tricks to three different time periods, past, present, and future. This, for the most part, is going to follow the exact familiar trick-taking mechanics when one person plays a card into a time zone you have to follow suit in that particular time zone you can however play into different time zones if you want once all three players have placed in each of the time zones then they will resolve in order from past to future the catch in this game is whoever wins the current time zone can set the resolving suit in the next time zone so for example let's say blue is led in the present time zone and two players play blue, and the third player happens to play yellow. If the third player wins the past trick, then blue will no longer be the resolving suit in the present trick. It would be yellow, since the third player is the one that won in the previous time zone. So it has this ability to kind of flip what the resolving suit can be in the future time zones. And I think that's what really makes this game unique from other games is that concept of just because you're leading in future zone with blue cards doesn't mean the blue card is going to resolve in that mm-hmm. zone. It could end up changing based on who wins what in the previous time zones. That said, it sounds super cool. Again, this is a game we we saw and I got at Origins. Mm-hmm. I saw it and I was like, wow, that's a really cool concept. And the guy kind of explained it and we kind of walk through some stuff and I was like, this sounds great. So Mm -hmm. I picked it up. It unfortunately for me did not play as well as I would have liked it to play. Yeah. It kind of fell flat. Like sometimes like the first person would play and they'd start in the past and then the second person would play in the past and the third person would play in the past. So then it was just like a regular trick taking game. Right. Because then you knew exactly like there was no tension about 
when to play. You could jump into the future and play a new trick, but you kind of didn't want to be the one leading it because you didn't know how, who's, you know, unless you knew already who was going to win the past. It, yeah, it just wasn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be. You know, I want to give it a little bit more time, but yeah, it just, it sounds cool because you think the way the cadence of the game is going to be like, all right, we're going to play and then there's going to be a lot of these I gotcha moments where mm-hmm. it's going to be flipping, but it's all open information. So like you said, why would I play in, you know, future when I don't know if that's what's going to resolve because nobody's played in the present. So mm-hmm. it, it follows a very similar, just regular trick taking cadence. You do bid on how many tricks you think you're going to take within the rounds. So that's, you know, that's cool. But it unfortunately, yeah, for me, I really wanted to like this game and it just fell really flat for me. Mm-hmm. It just, it, like I said, like you, you even pointed out, it it just followed that very similar trick-taking mechanic. So there was nothing new. The only difference was instead of resolving one trick at a time, you were resolving three. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple moments where we were playing where it was like, okay, this didn't work out or it got the it got flipped, but it wasn't as commonplace as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I would be willing to try playing it again just to see if it can get more interesting. You know, maybe if we figure it out a little bit more and put some time in, you know, trying different strategies, it might be more interesting, but I just also don't know if it's worth the work. The problem I have is I don't know if I want to, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that speaks a lot about the game is we played it and I was like, all right, cool. We played it. And I think I even said, like, when I get home, I'm probably just going to see if I can't sell it to somebody else Mm because it. Well, it's still new. Well, it's well, and it's an older game. It was actually reprinted. So it's not necessarily brand new but it was definitely new at the board game tables booth Mm -hmm. you know i just yeah i don't know if i want to invest the time i do think if you have to recommend this game we often ask if you know you if you like certain things you i would recommend this game my recommendation is in this particular game if you like trick-taking games and you have a group that plays trick-taking games consistently Mm -hmm. this would this could potentially be a game for you Because I think the meta that you can create, again, we've talked about it with the other game, but I think the meta that you can create within the group dynamic is where this game can shine. And I just don't know if it's going to hit the table enough for me. I guess we can talk about ratings. Like me personally, I'm going to rate it a five. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And yeah, like I said, it. man, I really wanted to like this game. It was such a cool concept. I I really love the Christmas Carol theme. Like, mm-hmm. that's a really cool concept. The artwork's really good. Yeah, the artwork's great. Uh, you know, I got some upgraded little bits that were like little wooden reefs that it depends on how many tricks you want to take and stuff. But unfortunately, that game just uh, it just fell flat. So like I said, if you have a group that does it, that plays consistently, this might be the game for you. But unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to play it that much more. So that is Ghosts of Christmas. All right, next up, I want to talk about Skull King. Skull King is a trick-taking card game based on a game you might have you can play with just a deck of cards called Up and Down the River. Or I've heard it called Up and Down the Creek. Um, it's also an implementation that they've called it Oh Hell, Oh Heck, Estimate, Judgment, 1098, Bumble, Diminishing Wisps, Peanuts. I think this is a, a game that's been around for a while. Um, it, this one, the Skull King, is designed by Brett Beck and Jeffrey Beck. Art is by David Bach, Eckerd Freitag, and April Stott. Published by Grandpa Beck's Games. In this game, players are bidding on and taking tricks. The twist is that you start the game off with only one card, 
and one chance of taking a trick, and each round an additional card is added to the hand. You earn 20 points for each trick you take, but if you bid zero, you can earn you can get points um, 10 times the points based on how many cards are in that hand. So in the first round, you get 10 points if you get zero tricks. In the fifth round, you can get 50 points. In the last round, you can get 100. You get more points if, if you can take a decent amount of tricks, but you don't want to overestimate because if you don't make your bid, you don't get those 20 points per trick and you lose 10 points each trick you, you are under or over. What makes this game worth getting versus playing with a regular deck of cards is the special cards in the game. So black is always trump. Then there are the pirate cards. The first player to play a pirate game and the trick takes it. So if you don't want to take a trick with a pirate card, you have to play it after someone else. Then there's the pirate king who trumps all pirates. There are also escape cards. So if you know you would be taking the trick if you followed suit, you can play an escape card to guarantee you won't take the trick. There are also a few other various cards that can score you points if you take them in a trick, but you have to make your bid to, uh, in order to get to be able to score them. What makes this game so much fun is bidding on tricks and you do it all together. So you kind of slam your fist in the table and everyone goes, yo, ho, ho. And then on the third ho, you like use your fist to, to declare how many tricks you're going to take. So you can do zero, one, you kind of stick a finger out for one, two fingers out for two, so on. And and then you look around and you're like, oh crap, everybody else also bid two cards. Like there's no way I'm going to get all of mine. And that's really the fun in the game. It's kind of wild, kind of crazy. It's really hard to predict, especially with a lower number of cards. Like you have one card, you have like the black five. So it's Trump. It's going to take it unless somebody else has a higher Trump card. So like that's you know, very swingy and really kind of just luck of the draw, I guess. But other than that, I, I I love it. It's fun. So I don't mind that it's so swingy like that. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the, I think, appeal of this particular game is that those swings and just the simultaneous bidding is what makes this game special, I think. Like, because yeah. everyone's like, everyone's, yeah, pounding yo, ho, ho. And then you you throw out the numbers and let's say it's five cards mm-hmm. and, and the together combined everyone's like i'm gonna win we're gonna win 12 tricks like would like <laughs> clearly not there's yeah. a, there's no way that's n- actually going to happen but and this plays up to six so it's really fun to play with a big group because yeah then there's always there's always extra tricks or under everyone's under tricks and someone's gonna get stuck with extra ones which is fun too i think what personally makes this game hold a very special place in my heart is <laughs> The first, so the first, <laughs> with the first time we played this game, first time you played it. The f- okay, the first, played yeah, it yeah, true. Okay, so the first time I played this game, Natasha taught taught us this game, and I hadn't played it in a couple years, and I didn't want to read the rules, obviously. Who reads the rules? And so, <laughs> so we start playing, and she's explaining, and she's like, "So if you get this, and it was about the the points or whatever." So if you get this many, if you do this, if you bid zero and you get zero, you get this amount of points and everything like that. And we're playing and you play what? Ten rounds? Yeah, ten rounds. Okay. So you play ten rounds and uh, a friend of ours shows up and we're like three rounds in and his name's Phil. I'm going to refer to Phil. Okay. And, <laughs> and we're we're playing and Phil's like, I, I don't think that's how you're supposed to play. And Natasha's like, yeah, it is. So then Phil's like, I don't, I don't know, because I have this game and I don't think that's right. <laughs> so then he grabs the rule book and he's like, no, 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 no. Th- this is how it, how it works. And, you know, me being me, I was like, oh, okay, thanks for teaching us the game, Phil, for coming in late and teaching the game. <laughs> so then fast forward, we're doing something else and Natasha's like, all right, this is how that goes. And Phil's like, I don't think that's how that goes. <laughs> he did it like three times. 
and the so we discussed teaching games like i don't know a handful of episodes ago it was probably mm-hmm. one of our earlier episodes and i still remember getting a text saying how come you didn't bring up skull king <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is i for- completely forgot about it but like so we're playing and he just keeps like no that's not how that goes <laughs> <laughs> it's worth re- refreshing on the rules if you haven't played a game in a while if, apparently if- if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know Natasha despises the reading rules, so yes. she's just going to make shit up as she goes along. <laughs> we were all playing by the same rules, so it's fine. Yeah, right. doesn't matter. It's just the way you score. It was a little off. But whatever. We still had a good time. <laughs> it was a fun game. Uh, the most fun I had was teasing you about how you didn't know the rules. It was so good. <laughs> My favorite thing to do in this game is to bid zero. Like I will always try to bid zero the whole game. Unless I get the Skull King, because the Skull King, you're guaranteed the one trick. And the worst hand you could possibly get is, like, all crap hand. And then the Skull King. So you have to bid the one. But you're like, ah, can I get at least, like, three tricks and get some decent points? My favorite is when you get that and you bid one because you're going to get the one with the Skull King. Uh And then you just start leading all your crap cards and everyone just keeps going underneath it. So you're going to be like, all right, you know, my next highest card's a five. All right, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna bid one and then you throw a four and then it's three two. And you're like, oh, man. All right, I'm gonna throw my five and it's four three. And you're like, dang it, man. Yeah, yeah. At that point you might as well just try to screw everybody over. Not let anybody get their bids. Yeah, shoot the moon as it were. Yeah. Except for the problem oh, I shouldn't quote this because I actually don't remember. If you get I think you get minus ten points per extra trick you take. But don't quote me on that because I yeah. haven't read the rules. She has not read the rules, so she does not know. Do not take... ask Phil. You ask Phil and then you'll know. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, we'll give you Phil's contact information. You ask him, he'll let you know how it's supposed to be played. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, it's a really, really fun game to play. Played right or wrong, doesn't matter. It's still fun. I love this game. I give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to give this game a 9 out of 10. I don't own it, and it's just because... I think the most of the time I'm going to play it, it's going to, I'm going to play it with you. But mm-hmm. the, the next time I have uh, people who are new to the hobby come in and play, uh, you know, come over for a game night or whatever, I think I'm going to pick this one up and show it to them. Because it's, yeah, it's fun. It's silly. It's, you don't take it, you, you just don't take it that seriously. Like, mm-hmm. you just don't necessarily care. Some of the fun of the game is bidding four and getting five or getting three and just like, just the, totally getting screwed over. Yeah, the the camaraderie that you have with everyone else. Oh, Natasha bid zero. Let's make sure she gets at least one. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, and the scores are wild too. Like somebody will have like negative two hundred points, and somebody else will have like three hundred points. It can be yeah, it can be arranged. That's and for it's sure. It's just fun to make fun of them for losing so poorly. Yeah, it's it's a it's a solid game. Yeah. yeah. I'd recommend giving this game a try if you like trick taking games, and especially if you love trying not to get tricks. It's a lot of fun. That's Skull King. All right, the last game that we're going to talk about for trick-taking games is The Crew, and specifically I'm going to talk about Deep Sea Mission, which is the newest version. This is a cooperative trick-taking game designed by Thomas Singh, art by Marco Armbruster, and this is published by Cosmos. In this game, players are working together to search for the lost continent of Mew. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Searching the sea depths for the fabled sunken land. You know, when I was writing this, <laughs> I thought for sure there was going to be no theme. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, so this is a trick-taking game, but it is a cooperative trick-taking game. So the goal is 
to complete objectives. There is a book of objectives that continue to get more and more difficult as you advance them further and further ahead. Typically what will happen is the objective will have a difficulty rating and then you draw cards from the small deck until you've collected the correct amount of difficulty because each of those cards has a difficult rating on it based on player count. And some of these cards could be like take more green cards than blue or win a trick with a five, you know, a variety of different things like that. In this game, you are allowed to show one card from your hand and indicate if it's the only card of that color, if it is the lowest, or if it is the highest. Other than that, players are not allowed to communicate. I think what makes this game so special is how it makes you think differently than the other trick-taking games. And this is a commonality amongst the ones we've talked about. Mm -hmm. But this one in particular, because you're strategically trying to get people to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And that's where the fun lies is you deal out the cards and the mission might say, all right, difficulty of 12. So then you start flipping these cards and you might have four. So there's going to be four cards at three difficulty. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or you could have six at two difficulty. And then starting with the captain who typically gets, there's uh, one suit of Trump and there's four cards. Whoever gets the highest card is considered the captain has to pick one. Then another person has to pick one. Then And you just keep going around and you're picking up these objectives that you specifically need to complete. Mm -hmm. And it's just the idea of, okay, how can I get him to win more green than blue, mm -hmm. but make sure Natasha wins with a five, but I need to make sure I take at least two nines. Yeah. It just <laughs> like It starts off easy. That's not your first hand and will not be that difficult. No, it certainly is not. No, it, it there's definitely a ramp up. And it gets continuously more difficult. And I think that's what I like about you. You have this sense of, oh, yeah, this is easy. Like, whatever. This is no big deal. Uh -huh. And then you start going, you start going. And you're like, holy good Lord, this is <laughs> how are we going to accomplish this? Mm -hmm. I enjoy cooperative games. And this is the kind of game that is just, I think, a lot of fun because we either are all winning together or we're all losing together. Natasha and I, whenever we play this game, we always seem to argue about what's the best course of action. Uh, yeah, Bob always plays the wrong card. I it's disagree. Ruin, ruins every game. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I think my strategy, I I believe my strategy is proven and it works well. So mm -hmm. It does sometimes. <laughs> you know, sometimes he's not wrong. But, I, yeah, I don't like cooperative games and I love this game so much because... I think it's because I don't, we can't communicate, right? Yes. So you just play a card and hope to God that your partner or your people you're playing with played a good card that will help you, you know, get the trick that you really need. Or also when you're picking those objective cards, like you can't tell everybody what cards you want. So like there's like maybe two out of the six that I can do. I know I can do it. And I just hope that Bob doesn't take it before I can grab him. Well, we talked recently that sometimes you're going to be looking at those cards and you're like, I can't take these two cards together. They contradict each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just can't do it. So there's been a couple times where we'll be going and I'll be like, I can't take that. Then mm -hmm. we just automatically lose and we're like, oh, okay, let's reset, let's reset, let's reset. Like, let's <laughs> take back a couple of them or whatever. But yeah, it's really good. And I like the deep sea mission so much better. It It's more balanced. You know, you can play at any of the levels where the other one is definitely easier at three and harder at five um it's just a little bit more straightforward and not as not as fiddly the the, the newest one is i really like that stack of objective cards mm -hmm. i i think they did a really good job with that because the 
original game was you would have a deck and you would and you would play and you would draw cards based on what the mission says you have to do these specific things or you need to make sure you get these cards blah 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 mm-hmm. blah right what i like about deep sea specifically is it's not necessarily always about taking numbers Mm-hmm. It's about completing whatever the objective is. And sometimes it is something as simple as I need to make sure I take more green cards than yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it changes it up quite a bit. And then it, it's constantly evolving. So you can play the same mission three times. And I mean, it could be completely and vastly different than the first time you've played mm-hmm. just based on those cards. Yep. There was a, a During Origins, we played three player. And there was a couple times where I think... We all had at least two, and one of us may have had three. Yeah, that got hard to keep it, track of it all. Well, and that's the thing. So then you're, you know, when you get one, you flip it over, cool, whatever. We know what's going on, but you'll be like, wait, hold. There's a couple times where you're like, hold on a second. Let me think about this. It just totally flips out of its head. You might go the whole game, but like, I don't want any tricks. So I guess I'll just throw, you know, get rid of my good cards because I don't need it to get any tricks. I'll let them take them. But then I'm like, oh, wait, wait, that's right. Bob can't take I need the last two tricks. So I need to hold on to one good card to make sure I can take the last one so he doesn't get it. So it just, it, it, it's so different than every other trick-taking game. And that's what makes it so fun. It's it, There's something special about this game. There really is, I think, personally. And yeah, just that interaction with all the cards. There was one mission in particular. It was timed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're like, okay, we got we to get it done in like three minutes. Mm-hmm. We're like, all right. And the I think we failed the first time, but then... Because we were just kind of like leisurely playing. We're, we're sitting at a bar, having some drinks, playing this game. Uh, and then we <laughs> forgot it was time. We're like, hurry up. Oh, yeah. Crap. <laughs> yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. <laughs> so we were like, all right, cool. We complete it. Sweet. The next one is do it in two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, ah, okay. All right. All right. Let's 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 focus and let's play. And then the next one's like, do it in two minutes. <laughs> Dang you objectives. That was fun. My favorite one that we did was the one that you couldn't lead off with any pinks or wilds. Which sounds easy. It took us like 10 tries to, to finally win it. 10 or more. Yeah. Because yeah. it always came down to that very last hand. And whoever had to lead had a pink or a wild left. And I don't know. It just took us so long to, to win that one. It was so fun though. This game, anytime I've ever played it, I've always had a blast playing it with the players I've been playing it with. It's just, it's fun. Special. I love showing this to new people. Because if most people are familiar with a trick-taking game, mm-hmm. right? Most people know what the concept is. But then when you say, all right, it's cooperative, and they kind of look at you funny, uh-huh. like, well, how does that work? Yeah. And then you play a round or two, and then it's that aha moment. And I've talked about this in other games in the past when it just finally clicks, mm-hmm. and you can see it, and they're like, oh, okay. All right, let's play again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's fast. You can only play a game or two, but you never do. You always play 50 or so. Yeah. What would you rate this game? 10 out of 10. Okay. I I was going to rate it a 9. Uh-huh. I think I'm going to give it a 10. I I love this game. The more and more I think about it and the more and more I've played it and the more I, I like I'm talking about it, I feel like we're just like gushing over this game uh-huh. and it just doesn't feel right to not give it a 10. Specifically mm-hmm. the deep sea mission one. Yep. I would say if you're going to get a copy or get a version, I would get that version. Mhm. I, I have the original version that I'm probably going to get rid of and get the newer version just because I like the newer version. Both versions are great, mm-hmm. but I think there's something special about that deck of cards. I would definitely recommend this game. If you like trick-taking games, you, even if you like cooperative, but you don't necessarily even need to like cooperative games specifically, oh. but if you like trick-taking games with some sort of objective, I would definitely recommend giving this game a try 
That is The Crew Deep Sea Mission. Well, that's going to wrap up our trick-taking games that we're talking about this week. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to play Would You Rather Board Game Edition. <laughs> I don't know any of these questions that you're playing. No, I didn't. So I, I uh, to preface, I went on Facebook and I went in some of the board game groups and I was like, hey, give me your best Would You Rather questions. And so I, I compiled them. Natasha doesn't know any of them. So it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see what she has to say, but we'll be right back and we're going to get to it after this break. All right, we are back and it is time for Would You Rather <laughs> Board Game Edition. Woo. Like I said in the, in the previous segment, I went on Facebook. I was like, hey, give me your best Would You Rather questions. Uh-huh. So I have compiled the list. And now we're just going to go through them and see what see what we have to say about some of them. Okay. I jotted them down. I personally did not take much thought into them. Okay. I just kind of I just kind of transposed the list, and we're just gonna we're just gonna go through, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we have a good conversation. All right. We're gonna start off easy. Okay. Would you rather? Uh huh. Play Monopoly. Uh huh. Or eat a used band aid. <laughs> play Monopoly. <laughs> I don't hate playing Monopoly. I think the game is just fine. In fact, I play it quite a bit. I would say that's not even close. The, the hatred for Monopoly runs deep in the board game community. And like <laughs> that was one of the first ones I saw. And I was like, that's, oh man, people truly hate that game. And I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. I would rather play Monopoly than not play a board game at all. Ooh, you would rather play Monopoly than not play a board game at all. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't know if I could say the same. I think if somebody's like, hey, do you want to play Monopoly? I'd be like, nah, man, that's all right. I'll just be on my phone watching TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read a rule book. <laughs> okay, I'd rather play Monopoly than read a rule book. That's for sure. Would you, though? Like, for reals, would you, ra- would you rather play Monopoly than read a rule okay. book? So I want to play Monopoly with my kids, and I do that to spend time with them because I like to play board games with them and that's one that they want to play i don't hate it it's fine i hate reading rule books i mean i i'd rather learn a new game sure but not by reading the rule books yeah i'd rather probably not play them read a rule book you the hatred you have for reading do okay the only thing i hate more than reading a rule book is listening to a really long explanation of somebody who could have just read the rule book to me (laughs) (laughs) you have such a unique perspective on like learning games Mm -hmm. it's just i don't how do you even have a board game collection (laughs) that's what i want to know i get rid of most of them because i can't bother to read the rules so do you when you buy a game do you think hmm i wonder who's going to teach me this game (laughs) well for going forward it's lessons learned right i don't (laughs) buy it unless i already know how to play it (laughs) lessons learned Jeez. yeah i don't know we've talked about monopoly on the show and you have talked about how it's actually not that bad if you mm-hmm. actually play by the rules. Yeah. And I'm interested in trying it on the regular rules, but I would have like I would have to be in like the best mood you've ever seen me in to be like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it it's not fun. Like it, it's not a great game. It, even with the rules, it's not a great game. But it's fine. It's not terrible either. If my friends came over and they're like, "We really want to play Monopoly." I just like that game. And I'd be like, well, can we play it by the rules? And if they agree to play it by the rules, not the house rules, I would play it with them. And I would have a good time because I'd be hanging out with my friends. What would be the house rules? You know, like 
putting money in free parking. Remember doing that? Yeah. And then you land on free parking, you get all you get that all money. The money. Yeah. Yeah. That lengthens the game. You don't do that. No money goes in free parking. That's not something that's supposed to happen. Yeah. You, anytime you go to the uh, yeah pay on the luxury tax or yeah, yeah. no, but goes back to the bank. All that does is extend the game out. So when you're like, you're almost going broke, about to go out, and then you can pull back into the game if you land on free parking. It's bad. Don't do that. No. <laughs> Uh, and then the other thing that, that you're supposed to do is if you land on a spot and choose not to buy that property, you auction it off. Right. Yeah. I remember doing that. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember doing that. But you can you can decide that early on too. So you can decide, okay, you know everyone's broke. So no one's going to be able to afford it. I'm going to put this one up for auction, hoping I can end up buying it for less than what it's selling for. Actually, now that I think about it, growing up as a kid, if we didn't, if we couldn't buy it, you didn't, you just didn't buy it. Yeah. You just let it so be. So it was really like the roll of the dice where you land on, right? Now it's like you can, if you spend all your money before you make it around to go, and now you're out of money, you know, and you can't afford to buy it. It has to go out for auction. So it just picks it up. It, it picks up and it ends up being like a half an hour hour game. Uh, more like a half hour punishment in the world of capitalism. Yeah. Probably. But, yeah. It's huh. just, you're supposed to, you're supposed to go, go broke fast. One person gets a lot of money and everybody else grows broke. Gotcha. Fair enough. I don't know. Maybe it would depend on the who wore the Band-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. If there's blood or pus on it. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. My You know, side, side story. So my daughter, uh, anytime, anytime she gets hurt in any way, even yeah. if she's not necessarily hurt. Yeah. She's like, I need a Band-Aid. And I'm like whatever i just i'm I'm not gonna argue over a band-aid right. and then funny story so probably like two three weeks ago i cut myself i was like man i need a band-aid and i go and i like go to our medical cabinet that has the band-aids and stuff mm-hmm. there's just boxes and boxes of empty <laughs> band-aid you know there's empty band-aid boxes everywhere and there's like <laughs> wrappers and stuff i cannot find a damn band-aid this entire thing. So I had to wrap it in like paper towel. I'm like, I'm like, Lila, <laughs> you can't use a Band-Aid for everything. Oh, but she can. Oh, but she can. So you might eat one of her Band-Aids. Uh, no, nah, I'd probably end up playing Monopoly. That sounds <laughs> disgusting, eating a used Band-Aid. I don't know. I th- when I saw that question, I was just like, yep, there's a clear disdain for Monopoly in the board gaming community. It's not that bad, guys. It's really not. It could, it's not good. Like, how do you the, how do you even know? That's my question to you: is how do you even know what the actual rules are for that game? They're printed on the box. So you read the rules? No, too. I didn't. My son did. Because <laughs> remember, he bought the game <laughs> and he read the rules, and then he taught me how to play. Okay, fair enough. All right, I guess. I, okay, I'll let that slide. <laughs> he don't mind me the rules. He reads all the rules. <laughs> like for, mousetrap, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told him to get it all set up. And then I asked him, then I told him, well, how do we play? He's like, I don't know. I didn't read the rules. So I read all the rules and found out you're not supposed to set it up. <laughs> he was mad at me. Oh, that's hilarious. That's a lesson to learn to him that uh-huh. he needs to read the rules Yeah, he can't on his mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Next up, would you rather have sheep or wood? Wood, because you need wood to build roads. To- sheep sheep aren't good for much except for... Um, you just, what it's not a city it's the the cards development yes. cards yep yeah sheep usually people are always trying to get rid of their sheep what's well, a trading commodity you'd rather have wood yeah you'd rather have a steady in stream of wood than sheep right everybody likes wood hi oh <laughs>
Uh, this went this went downhill fast. Okay, would you rather roll dice or place workers? Oh, that's tough because I love them both. Yeah, I love worker placement and I love rolling dice. Can I place? Can I roll dice and place them as workers? Because that's the best. <laughs> I mean, that's a, would, the ideal situation. If you were you were creating a game specifically for Bob, you would have dice. You would roll them and then you could place them. But that is not the question. The question is, would you rather roll dice or place workers? Place Stone Age because I can roll dice and place workers. <laughs> um, no, I place That's workers true. and roll dice. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, you could do both. Yeah. I love them both. Uh, probably roll dice because there's something thrilling about rolling dice, right? You would pick rolling dice over placing workers? Mm-hmm. I'm surprised, huh? Yeah. I that's like Euro games. Yeah, because you strike me as more of a want concrete information about mm-hmm. what's going on, and worker placement is probably as concrete as it gets. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't like rolling dice to see what happens. Like, that I don't like. But, like, rolling dice and then set using the dice to set up how we're going to play the game is super interesting. And then making decisions about the game. Not to, like, okay, let's see if I pass. Roll the dice. Like, what, kind of, ga- like what kind of game are you referring to? Like, Grand Austrian Hotel, Alien Frontiers. Oh, yep, yep. yep. Um, Pulsar 2849. Pulsar 2849. Yep. It's a theme you actually like, so I'm surprised you don't remember the name of that one. I do. I remember it was Pulsar 20. Random numbers on board game names. That's dumb. I'm sure twenty eight forty nine has a very specific meaning. What that is, who knows, but mm-hmm. I bet you it does. But when you talk about like a dungeon crawls and stuff, rolling dice to see if you pass or hit take a hit, I hate that. Yeah, then I'd rather what plays out workers. Because you don't like good games, sure. I don't like sense. I don't like rolling dice to see what happens. You know, you don't like rolling dice to see. What if uh, I was about to say, like, what if it was in a cooperative game? But you don't even like cooperative no. games like that. Mm-mm. You like, you don't like negative chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like positive chance. Like even Stone Age has a little bit of that. You roll the dice to see how much uh, resources you collect, but you know that going into it, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I find it. Well, it's really not negative. It's not like you're giving up. You're not giving up resources if you roll poorly. Right. Right. If you. Roll poorly, you get zero or something. Yeah, or if you definitely need at least one, you put at least three dice out there. You're not getting, you're not going to get zero. You're going to get at least one. You know, maybe you can get more. Like chances are, you'll get at least a few. Realistically, but yeah, if you need one wood and you put three workers on the wood spot, you're gonna get one wood. Yeah, at the very least, sure, sure. I think, ooh man, I'm gonna pick rolling dice. I'm gonna pick rolling dice because I love rolling dice in general. If mm-hmm. a game has dice in it, I'm down. Mm-hmm. And as a player who plays D and D role playing games, I love rolling for chance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's certain times where you roll dice, and it it's like the finale of a epic game, and you're gonna win or lose on this die roll, oh. and it becomes epic. Oh. There's these like stand up moments that are just people are cheering for the dice, like oh I got it, I gotta make sure I roll this specific thing, and when no, you I've do, never seen that happen. it feels so it's just sad. so anticlimactic. Oh yeah, I won, or oh I didn't. No, I don't like that. There are certain games that we're not gonna get into that, but I don't know. I I there's some I to me to me in my personality, I enjoy something like that. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that randomness, like ooh, what's gonna happen? Is are we gonna like? Are we going to win based on this die roll? Are we going to lose? Ah, oh, dang. And did we, we didn't do so well. But ideally, a game that combines the two, like take Lorenzo El Magnifico is a prime example. You roll dice, right? Mm-hmm. And then based on those values, everyone has to deal with those values are. 
So yeah. then you place workers based on what those, and each worker is a color coordinated to the die that's rolled. Same thing like Marco Polo. You roll dice and then whatever you have, you have to do something with. That would be the ideal situation, but just straight up rolling dice or playing workers, I got to pick rolling dice. Okay, this one is, I read this one and I was like, this is a Natasha question. Would you rather play a game that looks fantastic mm-hmm. but is only a mediocre game mechanically or a game that is uninspiring to look at but has absolute brilliant design mechanisms i don't know that's so tough close i i should say like an ugly game that's really good but no i'd your, rather play the pretty game your heart is telling you to go a different direction <laughs> but if they were both set up in front of me i'm like i don't believe you that that's any good it's gonna be like that one dude doesn't look interesting and just peace <laughs> out <laughs> yeah yeah it you'd have to convince me that the game is really good and i wouldn't believe you by looking at it so that's the problem right so if I knew it was really good, I would definitely so, give it a chance. So what if it was like the hotness, Arc Nova style, everyone's raving about how good it is, but it looks terrible. It's like an, would, an, an Alea game. And I hate the fact that I have to, ref- when I say an Alea game, everyone's like, yeah, I know what you're yeah, talking about. Um, That's sad. Mm-hmm. But it looks like that or something I, that looks see, like Everdell. I just don't think everybody would be raving about a game that looked like an Alea game. Like that would never happen. Let me take a look at Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, yeah. Well, look what's happening to it. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, they, they're getting. Yeah, they tried with the twentieth anniversary yeah. edition. Of it. Exactly, yeah. So I would. I mean, I definitely give it a shot. So let's see if a game I can think of a good analogy. So I think Castles of Burgundy. It's a great example of that. Great game, ugly as sin. Um, what's a medi- What's a game that's beautiful but mediocre? Meadow. Yeah. I would rather play Castles of Burgundy. So I guess that answers my question. The problem with Meadow is we didn't like it. I wouldn't consider Meadow mediocre. for us to us mediocre. We, you and I didn't. Okay, what's you know. a good mediocre game? I think everybody else good. You know, um, it's probably better than mediocre. Yeah, I don't know. I don't <sighs> mediocre game that looks good. See, I liked, I loved Calico. That would be mediocre for you. Yes, but so you would. I think you would definitely choose a better game over artwork. Probably, hmm. man. This is a tough question. Because I, my natural instinct is to say I'm going to take mechanics mm-hmm. over artwork, but my you made you made a statement and it keeps like burning itself in my head is if they were both set up next to each other. Yeah. If they were both set up next to each other, and I had to pick, and somebody was like, I would be like, "Hey, how's this game?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's pretty solid. You know, it's pretty good." And somebody's like, "Man, mechanically, this game is fantastic." I'd probably still pick the pretty one. Yeah, not knowing. A- Having not played in a vacuum, in a vacuum, I want to say game mechanics is going to win for me. But but here's the thing: if somebody yes. just tells you this game is better than this game, that that doesn't mean anything. It's useless information. You know what I mean? Yes. Because everyone's opinions are different. So yeah, I would choose the prettier game because I would be like, nah, I don't believe you. That one looks better. I I you I I have learned over the years. You don't do not believe people when they tell you this game is amazing. You need to play it yourself form your own opinion i mean look at the number 100 uh, 100 games on board game geek they're not all games that i would enjoy yeah there's there's definitely something we obviously are doing a board game podcast and we're giving our opinions about games but it's one of those things that the way i look at it is i listen to people who i feel have similar tastes than like i do that's Mm -hmm. why something like listening to a top 100 list is more important to me in some ways because it gives me an idea of the types of games they like. Yeah. 100%. So if 
you know, I align with Z Garcia or Tom Vassell or Roy Canaday or Mike Delisio. If I align more with one of those, I'm going to listen to that more, that opinion more so than somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So if they're there and saying, listen, this game's, it's good, you know, it's fine. And they're like, but this game is amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to pick the amazing game. Yeah. It depends on who tells me. See, it depends on who tells me. That's the whole thing. But having no information, if it was just a random person and they said this game is better than this game, I would choose the prettier game because I don't believe people. Because what everyone's if I told you? What different. if I told you? What if I was like Natasha? This this game is like. If legit. you said that you you think I would like it better, then I would believe you. I guess we got to take this question as a, as a vacuum. Two games set up. Little sign says this one is a six point five out of ten. This one's an eight out of ten or nine out of ten, and then artwork. What do you pick? <sighs> Six and a half. A six and a half is low. That is mediocre. That's I was gonna say like here. seven to me. To me, like I would even say a six. A six is a mediocre game to me. Mm-hmm. Seven is a good game. Yeah. And like we've talked about how my ratings are like more skewed than others. Like I'm very rarely gonna give out a ten. Yeah, I would choose the pretty game. I would still like want to at least experience that pretty game. Yeah, you're <laughs> just, right. Just in case. I'm vain. <laughs> you just like artwork. You're, you're. I really like artwork. I like it more than theme. It's important, more important to me than theme. Well, and that's that. I think that's a consideration people make based on the games that are coming out nowadays. Is we've talked about artwork and games and how important it is now more so than let's say theme. Mm-hmm. We had a chance to uh, demo Space Station Phoenix at Origins. Yeah, and to me that game wasn't. It's a real Grande game. It's not very pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, and because of that, I think I went into it not expecting a ton because it wasn't it didn't look as good as I would have expected it to mm-hmm. or what I would have wanted it to, mm-hmm. you know, realistically. So, yeah, I still oh, man, do I pick artwork or do I pick gameplay? I'm going to pick gameplay. I think you would. I think I would, too. But even then, it's hard. <laughs> it's, that's such a hard question to like, uh, man, I don't know. So. There's another question that was posed almost directly after this, and I I think I know where it's going to go, so we're just going to do, because literally the only difference is artwork, and that is, would you rather play Century Spice Road or Century Golem Edition? Golem, that's the one I bought. Century Spice Road is ugly and boring looking, and Golem is gorgeous, and it's literally the exact same game, and yeah, I totally chose that, even knowing that the expansions and stuff were just for the Century Spice Road at the time. So funny you should mention that. So I'm at Gen Con, the year Century was a thing, and they had Golem Edition at Gen Con, mm-hmm. right? And this was at Plan B Games. So I go up there and I'm I'm going to buy a version. And the guy there is just like, hey, this is the only print run we're doing of Golem. If you want Golem, this is the version you need to get. And I was like, okay. He goes, other than that, after this, we're not, re- we're not going to reprint Golem. This is the <laughs> like limited edition. And I was like, okay. Like, well, how's that going to interact with the cards and the gameplay with the future ones? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we're working on that. It's something that we're going to tackle. Cool. All right. So I buy the Golem edition. Yeah. It's okay. everywhere. Yeah, now it's everywhere. Yeah, right? Come on. But it's the better one. So yeah, you did good. Yeah, I did well. Yes. I did well. Not good. I did well. You did but good. Good. Uh, good job, you. Good job, you. You don't say well job. I didn't know. You don't, but <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, it uh, I got a little duped in that one, but still, I'd rather that version I like better. And the thing is, part of my concern was getting the additional games, mm-hmm. and I 
didn't buy any of the additional games. I've played the some of the newer versions and I've played them incorporated with each other. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm going to pick just Century Golem over the other versions mm-hmm. put together. Because I, if you like the game, you like that it, it's simple and, and quick and that, that's all there is to it. You don't, I don't know. I yeah, think I mean, it's good on its own. Adding the additional stuff to those games is fun and it makes it more complicated, but I think it it eliminates the simple, elegant design that what Century is. Yep. You know, so. Agree. Okay. Would you rather play a game you really loved mm-hmm. with people you weren't super fond of? Yep. Or play a mediocre game with people whose company you enjoy? I'd choose the game over the people. You would? <laughs> yes. Oh my God, really? Yeah. As long as they didn't ruin the game for me. Some people do ruin games. But as far as like straight up just company alone, like am I going to have good conversation or like silence? I don't need that. Part of it is the game. Is the so, game. Yeah. So if it's like a Euro game, then. Then nobody needs to talk anymore. Yeah, then I don't need to listen to you. Like I can well, just put my a, head down. Like a good party game. I'd rather play a crappy party, a, a party game that I'm not into with a lot, with fun people for sure. I'd rather play like a, a heavy Euro game. I'd, I'd rather pick a game I love. A party game, I'd rather choose the people. I'd pick the people. Well, the you game. can only pick one. It's would. It's not would you rather have both. It's would you rather have one. <laughs> Come on, Natasha. You need to pick one. Okay, I, I pick the game. You're going to pick the game over the people? Mm-hmm. I, 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 like, I like all people. I like different people. So even people that bother me, like I still enjoy their company. There's no way you still enjoy people's company who bother you. Yeah, I, mean, I don't we're get, doing this I don't podcast, get bothered so I by I, like things like that. Like I could get over it quickly. Yeah, so that actually, it's. I think I would pick. Uh, I know I'd, you'd pick people. Yeah, you're picky pick, about yeah, people. I am picky about people. I just, I, I'm, I'm a unique personality that like I'm an acquired taste, and I know that about myself. <laughs> like you have to get to know me in order to actually like me. No, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. No, that's not true. <laughs> it is. I've been told my whole life. <laughs> I think I would rather play a mediocre game with people I enjoy mm-hmm. than a good game with people I'm not fond of. But I guess it's a level of fondness. Like, do I hate them? Yeah. There are people that I will not play with. Why? Because they're terrible to play games with. They're, they ruin games. Okay. What characteristics of that person ruins a game for you? Like, what is it that ruins a game? People who are mean. People who um, pout throughout the whole game complain about the game yes. like complain about whatever and then people who take really slow turns yeah i can i can agree with that i will tolerate literally anything else yeah i think for you your number one pet peeve is slow turns mm-hmm. i think that's right you want to keep that game like flowing especially i think it's the worst in a game like scythe when i think the more tension you feel in your turns the less forgiving you are of people taking slow turns yeah so yeah, if I'm not stressed out, then I can sit there and be patient. But I still don't like it. Like I, got, I just don't want to wait for other people to take their turns. Like it's, I just would rather play a couple games than one. Man, I agree with a lot of those. I I don't like egregiously slow turns. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have people in our group that take a little longer than other people, but I don't. None of it's egregious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. none of it's bad. If I would you're say. if you're not paying attention to the game at all, and then now it's your turn, and you're now deciding, trying to decide what to do with no plan in place, that's annoying. Like, put a little bit of effort into it. If things change, and now it's your turn, and things change, you gotta put some more thought into your turn. That's fine, but you need to be preparing your turn by the end of your turn. I think people, I, especially when people play with me. I notice a lot of people tend to apologize for how long they take, and it's because of how fast I take my turn. Mm-hmm. Typically, 
more often than not, I'm a fast player. I don't like to delve on my decisions. I just want to make a decision and move on. I don't want people waiting for me. Mm -hmm. So if, if it comes back to me and no information has changed and the board state is still exactly the way it looked like when I was making my decision, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make my turn fast Yep. and be like, I'm done. And people, I think people are off, like get caught off guard with how fast my turns can be sometimes. That said, I mean, there's times where there's specific games where I'll take a time and think about stuff. Battle line is a prime example. I'll get AP and battle line mm-hmm. just because it matters so much, mm-hmm. you know? And but, I, I don't mind AP in a two player game. I think you need to take the time because you don't have as many players in between you to think about your turn. Yeah. But, I, but that, and like the second thing is like complainers. Like if you're complaining about how the game is going, you're complaining about your previous move, you're complaining about how you don't think that that action is fair. Just, just, just don't, just don't complain. I, th- I think I know what game you're referencing. So, uh, at Origins, you played a game of Ark Nova, mm-hmm. and I stopped by to see how things were going a couple times. And there was a guy you were playing with. It was just like, that's busted. That's broken. Mm-hmm. This game, this game's broken. This game's broken. And I'm like, oh man, that's two, two and a half hours, three hours of hearing that's gonna suck. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't yuck people's yum. Like, if people are enjoying a game, don't complain about the game. Like, wait till it's over at least. One of my pet peeves that I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up is when I teach a game and people keep asking me the same question every single turn. Really? It drives me nuts because I think part of it is just me that I get self-conscious that I just clearly did not explain it correctly because they need to keep asking me the question. And I can't remember, I can't remember the last time this has happened to me, but when it gets to their turn, they're like, oh, well, what can I do again? You have two choices. Like you either take it right. Like you draw, you draw tickets or late, late tracks. Mm -hmm. That doesn't bother me at all. You can ask me a hundred questions, same question, a hundred times. There's a, there's a threshold. I have a threshold. Like uh-huh. I, and that's the thing is I try to be, I try to be forgiving. I mean, there's times where like, there's times where I'm just in a shitty mood and, but uh-huh. there are times where when I keep getting asked the same question, I I don't know what my threshold level is. I think it depends on the day. So if you've asked me the same question 15 times and the game is basically done, <laughs> I'm over it. Fair enough. You know, I would rather you ask me a question throughout the game as many times as you want. But don't you dare ask me a question during the rule teach. I will get to that. <laughs> Shut your face. <laughs> Whatever. You're not teaching rules anyway. So what does it matter to you? This rule teach will take 30 seconds or less. If you cannot get figure it out at the end, you may ask questions. Do not interrupt me. I think that's your problem, though, is because your the rule teach is so bare bones. You have to be accepting of the fact that people are going to ask you questions during the course yeah, of the game. Yeah, we're going to spend the game learning the game. That's how we're gonna spend the game. Not up front. Don't ask me every question up front. What I've what I've learned in my rules teach, and I'll even say sometimes when I'm like describing a game on here, is I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> that this is a thing, and I will get to this thing. Oh, you know what's also annoying? The rules helper, the the assistant to the rules. Oh yeah, I've I'm guilty of this from time to time. I try I try to like because I hate it. I, I'll be teaching a game and they'll be like, well, you know, like, oh, don't forget about this thing. Like, dude, I that's ha- not important. We can go over that in the game. Well, and some of that, some of the time is if I'm going to teach a game and I read a rule book, I read a rule, I read the rule book and I kind of have a general idea of the way I'm going to present it. 
and then I read it a second time or I'll skim it a second time. And then in my head, I formulate how I want to present this information to people. And it's very similar to how I present information when I'm describing a game, you know, on this podcast Mm -hmm. is this is the rounds. This is how this works. This is how you score points. Like I have a general cadence. And when somebody's like, well, don't forget this, bro, I'm like, can you give me like this teach is going to be 15 minutes. We're four minutes in. Like, I'm going to get to it. All right. (laughs) Chill out. But that's the thing. See, I'll never interrupt you. You want to know why? Because you're not listening anyway. You're I I and know I, that. I'm the one that asks questions. All right, so what do we do on our turn? <laughs> you're like, I went over this. And then I'll, like, you'll say it again. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember you saying that. That and the thing we've played enough where I I can sense when you've disconnected from the rules <laughs> teach, when you've just like your capacity of knowledge. So if I know I'm teaching a game and you're involved, I try to get I try to get as much dense information in the first like few minutes mm-hmm. so I know you'll at least have some of that and then I can the fluff comes later. <laughs> good, good. I specifically change it based on you're there. But unfortunately I am I am guilty of stepping in. I try my best not to. Sometimes people ask me like did I forget anything? And I'll even ask people who know the game better than me like did I forget anything or anything like that, you know? But you know, don't worry about forgetting things. We figure that as we go. There <laughs> Jeremy has this thing. So Jeremy's like one of the primary teachers. And he has this thing where we'll be playing and he'll be just sitting there and you'll see him like lost in thought. And then he'll just like casually go and grab the rule book <laughs> and start and start flipping through it. And then he'll be like, uh, man, so we may have been playing this wrong. <laughs> like it occurs to him as he's playing that, okay, like maybe, maybe I'm doing this thing wrong. Uh, okay. We're going to do one more. Okay. This one. I don't know if it's going to be easy or not, but would you rather play games with well-behaved children or poorly behaved adults? Children. What age? Any age. I don't care. What if they were like three? Sure. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, that wouldn't be fun for me, right? That would be work. Like if I'm needing to entertain children, I would prefer to play a game with them over just about anything else. But like to hang out with, like if I'm going to hang out with people, I'd rather hang out with poor, poorly behaved adults. Well, I mean, hanging out with a poorly behaved adult, having some drinks, not playing board games is a completely different experience than sitting down and trying to play <laughs> some games with them, right? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Because um, I do get really frustrated with that. I get really frustrated when people are like, oh, I just don't care. I don't care if I win. Like, you have to you have to at least attempt to care. Otherwise, you're not fun to play with. It was funny because we were interviewing Jack from the Bo Donna group. Uh-huh. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I really don't care. And you're like, but you have to. <laughs> <laughs> or you're not fun to play with. Uh, okay. But like at teens, you know, sure. I totally hang out with fun teens and even like 10 year olds. That's fine. The question wasn't teens. It was children. 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 I guess adults because at least if the game devolved, <laughs> we'd have like, okay, I'll read my room, right? If they're not interested in the game and behaving poorly, I would shift my expectations to, oh, we're going to play a game and have fun playing a game to I'm going to have fun hanging out with these people. Whatever we do doesn't matter. So I could shift my expectations. See, the thing is, taking this question as it is, would you rather play with well-behaved children or poorly behaved adults? For me, my instant reaction would be well-behaved children. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well. I actually want to hang out with children. Like, Yeah. Like, (laughs) so I'm thinking children, right? So not teenagers. So 12 and below. How old? Like three? 
I can only handle, even if it's a well-behaved three-year-old, mm-hmm. there's only so much I can take with a well-behaved three-year-old. Mm-hmm. With I, adult- I tolerate my own because I love them. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's the extent. It kind of ends just, there. I think, you, I think you summed up parenting <laughs> in just one statement. I tolerate my own kids because I love them. <laughs> but I don't like have a desire to hang out with children. <laughs> That's the thing, but so poorly poorly behaved. What is poorly behaved? Is it what we talked about just a second so. ago, or is it could it be like, like maybe people who are like you know not paying attention to the game, like being rude, you know, getting drunk? I don't know. Yeah, I man, this this question on the on the surface seems easy. Oh, what if what if Bob? What okay, about okay. this? What if they were eating really messy food all over your game? Out kids. <laughs> Yeah, done. That's like my number one. That's yeah. like my number one thing. I'd be and fine with that. But I know you would. As long as they're paying attention and taking their turns. I don't know. Is that my number one pet peeve? I, man, yeah. What are they eating though? Cheetos and like. like they're eating like chips and salsa, like chips and queso, but they're they're dipping their chip on the other side of the table and then bringing it over so the cheese is oh, falling all over you're your done. cake. You're done. You're, not, you're, done. Their mouth. you're done. That's breaking a social contract. No, you're, you're hanging out, out with you're, the kid. You're going over the nursery, hanging out with the kids. Heck yeah, I would. Although I do put like their food in a bottle. <laughs> this is a little baby. Here you go. Hurry <laughs> up, like Uno Showdown. Uh, but that's the thing. So if you're playing with well-behaved children, you're also playing children's games. Mm-hmm. And I en- I enjoy playing games with my daughter. Okay, mm-hmm. yours. I do. I will even play games with other kids, but. For only so long. <laughs> so, ah, man, what did you pick? I picked a badly behaved adult. So I'm sticking with that. I, uh, I mean, badly behaved adults can poorly, be fun. Poorly, poorly behaved adults can be fun too. Just depends on their behavior. Yeah, it's so the debauchery that they're getting into, right? Ah, man, poorly behaved adults. <laughs> Ooh. But like, I mean, if they're rude and ass assholey, like just jerks, then no, I wouldn't want to hang out with them. Yeah, I think the problem poorly behaved. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick poorly behaved adults, and I'm probably gonna regret saying that because mm-hmm. if it's gonna happen, I'm gonna be like, man, I, I wish I would be playing with kids. <laughs> the thing is, if I was playing with well behaved kids, I'd be like, all right, that's cool. And they'd be like, let's play another one. I'd be like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. be like, I want to play another one. I'm like, yeah, you guys know the game. You play by yourself. Yeah, right. I'm gonna go watch TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone at this point knows that in my spare time, I watch TikTok. <laughs> I hate that app. God, sucks so much time out of you. <laughs> All right, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk about two-player games. What, what? Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>